0: You are listening to Uncommentary. Hey folks, this is Marty. I want to remind you again about my friend Byron at Hearts and Minds Books and encourage you to order from this uh, independent bookstore up in Pennsylvania. Uh, It's heartsandmindsbooks.com, and when you go there, you'll see easily the navigation to uh, request a book or to ask about a book. Uh, They're super helpful. If you'll mention uncommentary, on some books you can get a discount. They can't discount everything because of the nature of their small operation, but when they can, they do, and I really encourage you to check them out. Uh, He mentioned to me recently that there has been some business come come his way as a result of the podcast. That makes me, like, really happy. That's heartsandmindsbooks.com. You can actually leave a card on file. I do this all the time, and then email him when you want a new book and how you want it shipped to you, and he can handle it. Uh, right there through your email. And uh, it's really, really encouraging to him. And so I encourage you to check him out. How often do you think about where your food comes from? Uh, So I'm not talking about like, does it come from the produce section or the coffee and cereal aisle? I'm talking about the process of how food gets to your plate. This is something I started thinking about like in detail, uh, maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, something like that. And, um, it dawned on me that when I pray and I say thanks for this food that you have provided, that my prayer in 2020 or 2021, basically 21st century America, is so different than what that same prayer would have been in from a farmer in the 1800s who depends on the right growing conditions and depends on the right amount of rain and depends on uh, crops not being consumed by pests and things like that. So provided is doing a lot of work in both of those situations. Uh, how it's provided to me is I have an income and I have transportation and I'm able to get to a place where I can purchase food. Uh, so it's two completely different meanings of provided. Uh, well, my guest today is an actual living, breathing farmer. He farms out in West Tennessee. His name is Shane Birchfield. Uh, I've known him for a number of years, and he is a commercial farmer. That's how he phrases himself. And uh, so we're going to talk a lot about farming today. We're going to talk about sustainability. We're going to talk about the market of farming. We're going to talk about a little bit about the food chain and what a lot of these things represent, as well as his thinking about food and food production. So this is a unique episode for Uncommentary, but I think you're going to find that he is his own kind of expert in this area. And I really encourage you to uh, take this one and share it with folks, uh, maybe to instigate some good conversations in your own circles. So, thanks. first of all, thanks for doing this. Um, I I appreciate the fact that you don't think you measure up to the standard uh, quality of guests on Uncommentary. Uh, however, if we were, you know, if we were talking about, I don't know, artificial intelligence or something like that, then I would call somebody else, but
1: yeah, that's right. Uh, I hope you would because,
0: because you have a very specific, uh, area of expertise and, uh, in today's culture, it's not one of those times of expert or kinds of expertise that a lot of people have. Uh, and I think really, I mean, honestly, Shane, I think there's a lot of people who don't even realize that this is an area of expertise. They just think that they go to Kroger or Publix or Aldi or wherever mm-hmm. and they pick up their food. And the expertise is when they ask the produce manager, do you have any more cauliflower? <laughs> <laughs> And since you yeah, are, yeah, we
1: got it in our secret lab in the back. Here. Right. Let, me, let me go through this plastic door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, anyway, um, since you're an actual farmer uh, and you are a farmer by profession, and, and maybe even what you feel as like a calling or a vocation, we can get into that some if you want to. Um, you do have a, an area of expertise that I think a lot of people need to hear something about. So, uh, okay. we're just going to roll right into it. Shane Birchville, welcome to commentary.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So you, uh, you are a, an actual farmer. You live in West Tennessee and I can't remember the town that you live in.
1: Yeah, I live, uh, I live in Dyersburg, Dyersburg. Northwest Tennessee. We're right by the Mississippi river. Uh, we're just straight north of Memphis, up by the boot hill of Missouri. Okay. So so I can tell you all of those things and you'll still not find me on a map.
0: Yeah, that's, that's actually true. (laughs) Uh, those of you who are listening, I went to visit Shane, uh, one afternoon and rode with him in a combine during harvest season, uh, maybe two years ago. And I think that's right. Um, spent about two or three hours with you doing that. And it took me from Nashville, I think it was almost three hours to get to your house. So for those of you who mm-hmm. think geographically like that, but you don't always think about how wide the state of Tennessee is, I'm in middle Tennessee, and it took me almost three and a half hours to get to his house, and he's still in Tennessee. So it's a, it's a long drive, <laughs> and he is remote. I'm just so glad we're not doing this via smoke signals this morning. <laughs> so um, you grew up in a farming household, is that right?
1: That's right, Yeah. What was oh. that like?
0: Did you have to, like, clean the coops before you went to school every morning?
1: <laughs> uh, thankfully, my dad had gotten out of livestock production by the time I came along. I'm the youngest of four. Okay. Uh, I've got three older sisters. Um, uh, so I'm the favorite son, as I like to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so he, uh, uh, mom and dad uh, were just full-time row crops. Uh, farmers at that time. Okay. So they grew, they grew, or we still continue to grow, uh, corn, cotton, soybeans, and wheat.
0: So for the, and, for the, uh, for the uninitiated in the audience, and there will be some, a row crop is what you, uh, you disc up a field and you plant it and then cover it and you grow the crops in rows. Correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. yeah that'd be the simplest way to explain it. Although we don't disc anymore. Okay, cool. Um, but some people still
0: do. All right. So you grow up in, in that kind of an environment. But if mm-hmm. my memory serves me correctly, um, you didn't like continue into the farming. You went into like, were you going into ministry? Because you wound up in seminary, right?
1: I, I did. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other story. You went from You went from
0: pasturing to pastoring, correct? <laughs> that was terrible. I know. Please, no dirty notes on that. I know it was bad.
1: <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, yeah, what's the other joke? Uh, uh, what, what is a farmer? Uh, someone outstanding in their field. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah, I grew up. <clears throat> of course, I grew up on the family farm. Um, you know, like any farm kid, you know, I had chores. I helped after school, on the weekends, you know, summer break. Things like that, just doing whatever I could do that was age appropriate and so forth. Or, you know, as I got older, my responsibilities expanded. Once I could start driving, uh, even more responsibilities, I was able to help a lot more. <clears throat> After high school, I went to college, uh, went to the University of Tennessee, got a bachelor's degree in agri- agriculture. Technically, my degree is in natural resource management, but. Oh, cool but um i have a I had a foot and I have a foot in both worlds, mm-hmm. so that's why I went kind of that route. I wasn't real sure what I wanted to do um after college if I wanted to return back to the farm or if that opportunity was gonna be there or not so uh, my wife and i we married uh we moved to middle Tennessee. Uh, she was going to grad school there at MPSU okay. in Murfreesboro. Yeah. Um, and we were expecting our first child, and I took a position with Tennessee Farmers Cooperative, which is the co-op yep. in layman's terms in Tennessee, and uh, now, it's give an ag a, supply.
0: Yeah, give a short event. synopsis of what that is.
1: Yeah, so that's an ag supply retailer. Uh, it it just provides any kind of uh, supplies and you know seed. Uh, fertilizer, chemicals, uh, of all feed, um, all ranges of size of farms. And it varies as the state of Tennessee varies. So a co op in West Tennessee is going to look a little bit different than a co op in East Tennessee. It's going to be tailored to the needs of its community and its area. Okay. Generally so, speaking, yeah. just
0: estimate, and you can just ballpark this. Across what we would kind of think of as the farming belt, all the states that we traditionally think of through the middle of America that produce, you know, 90-whatever percent of all the food that's produced in America, how many of these types of co-ops would exist? Are we looking at 100 altogether? Are we looking at 2,000 altogether?
1: Oh, wow. Um I have no idea. Because there's not just the co you know, the co op has its competitors just like oh, okay, cool. You know, Walmart has its competitors or whatever. Okay. Um, our grocery stores have their competitors. So, you know, we have three or four here in my county, Dyer County, that basically do the same thing and serve the same segment of of society. Or, okay, so you know, this is this is
0: more like a um a private commercial enterprise. This is not like a government. Okay. Gotcha. All right, go ahead.
1: Yes. No. Yeah. These would be private entities that, you know, for profit. Okay. uh, So we're thinking like tractor supply,
0: golden States, those kinds of things.
1: Tractor supply, golden state, Helena, uh, nutrient, um, uh, Southern States. It just depends on what part of the country you're in. Um, what supplier might be available to you.
0: Okay. All right. Well, go ahead with your story then
1: uh let's say college married uh middle tennessee then took a job with the co-op moved to east tennessee uh worked with the co-op system for a few years uh dad and i chatted at some point along the way about an in- if i was interested in coming back to the farm uh i was we did that for a few years um and just you know just uh, of course you know, I, I like studying. Uh, of course, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wanting to learn more about the Bible, and theology, and things like that. And so, through a uh, off-site course at Union University over here in Jackson, Tennessee, I took a couple of classes and got really interested in what I was studying and what I was learning. And had an opportunity to go to uh, seminary. And so I took that. I kind of thought I was on a track to go into, into ministry and, um, went to Southern, uh, met some great folks some mutual friends of ours, Jay Sanders and Mm -hmm. Casey Harp and some folks like that, that we, we both know. I guess that's how, how you and I kind of got connected back a few years ago was through, through those mutual friendships. And, um, uh, one day, um, My dad uh, called me. I was at work, and my dad called me, and he said, Hey, would you be interested in coming back to the farm again? And I thought, well, you know, I think I would be. I I thought we were on our way to central Illinois, to Champaign area, actually, to plant a church. Wow. uh, To be part of a church plant team, but that door kept getting closed Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason. You know, I mean, you, you know, providentially, you can look back and sure. see now. Right. But um, at that time, you know, we that that's kind of the trajectory we were on and uh, to be part of a church plant team up there. And um, and, you know, that that, that door just kept hmm. kept being shut in front of us. And then right about the same time, my my dad called and he said, well, Uh, my brother-in-law had been working with my dad while I was office while I was at uh, grad school. Uh And he said, he's leaving, he's returning uh, back to the place that he worked worked at before. Uh, Would you be interested in coming back? And I said, yeah, you know, I think I would. Let me talk to some folks. We need to pray about it. I want to talk to my pastor up here, things like that, you know, and they all kind of was like, go for it, man. So I talked to some trusted people and they were like, Man, we'd love for you to come you know, it'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. So so that was in twenty ten. Um, we moved back to West Tennessee in twenty ten and I've been farming full time, uh, gradually taking the the, the family operation over uh, over these past ten plus years now.
0: All right. So you're uh you're one of those Cory owned boys, you're coming back and you're taking over the family business, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, my sisters might say I'm more like the prodigal son, so <laughs>
0: There's some overlap even there, I think.
1: Uh, that's probably true. <laughs> um
0: okay. So uh so that's that's uh fantastic stuff. I uh, I love to hear people's stories, um how God's worked in your life is definitely unique uh in, in my friend group, uh as the kids would say these days. In my circle yeah. <laughs> of friends, your story is definitely unique.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: Most of the people that I know that quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes here. At farm, uh, you know, it's three five-gallon Home Depot buckets at the end of their driveway with some tomatoes <laughs> struggling to survive, or like me, uh, you know, two jalapeno plants that will feed literally the whole neighborhood, which is good because I eat a lot of them. Um, that's right. I mean, but that's basically it. it. You know, most of what us, gen- you know, most of us neighborhood farmers don't don't grow a lot of food, and we certainly aren't you, going
1: to. You sus- you read a Wendell, you read a Wendell Berry <laughs> essay, and then found some a homeschool family selling chickens.
0: <laughs> Dang! Did you just describe half of evangelicalism? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, well, so,
1: we're not anything, we are easy to
0: describe. <laughs> so. <laughs> there, uh, so a thing that you said when we were together, I think you said this uh so I came over that afternoon, uh rode with you in the combine for a few hours, um, went to dinner with you and your family that night, and then you and I had breakfast the next morning, and I think we were sitting at Chick-fil-A when you said something along these lines. I wrote I wrote it down, I don't have it in front of me. But you said something like most people don't give any thought to their food until they have nothing to eat. And I thought that was so accurate and descriptive of our, when I say our, I'm talking about right now Americans, <clears throat> but generally speaking, those people in the West. So not just Americans, but we in the West have so many options for food, even people who are, you know, have lesser income. If they have government supplements, they do have options For foods, Mm -hmm. they may not have as many options as somebody who's making $300,000 a year, but they generally speaking still have options. So we're not talking about, uh, you know, the Syrian desert where things have dried up and blown away or places in Kenya that famine struck and stuff like that. We're talking about generally speaking, and again, I am generalizing that people in the West have the ability to plan out a meal schedule or to go to their local grocery store and find something or stop on the way home at a fast food Mm -hmm. restaurant and pick up something and either take it home or sit in the parking lot or eat it while they drive with their knees, which is what I do. Uh, so Mm -hmm. there's, there's all kinds of options until at some point we sit down and we don't have anything to eat. That'd be the only (laughs) time we really think about food. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the, the process that farming Contributes to the food supply that I benefit from when I go to Kroger and walk into the produce section and buy one of those shiny waxed bell peppers uh, that I couldn't grow in my backyard because slugs got a hold of the plant or something like that. So uh-huh. walk yeah. a little bit through that process, uh, and then we'll hit a quick break.
1: Well, I think you've um, yeah you said it well, uh, and that's, and that's kind of part of the success or the miracle of the, uh, American food experiment, if you want to call it that, or the American farm, um, that even, of course, and there's always, you know, we can nuance this to death,
0: right? Mm, Sure.
1: And, uh, and there's always exceptions, uh, but you know, we're speaking in generalities here. Um, uh, yeah, I I said that and I, I think that holds true and has held true for a long time. Uh as part of um, our income, or, or the average person's income, or any person's income uh, in in the West, in the United States, uh, food for most people uh, doesn't have to be a major expense in the home budget. Mm-hmm. Um, um, now, that doesn't mean it's always the healthiest. Right? They're eating the healthiest things or the most nutritious things, but um, food. Uh, in the in the U.S. is generally speaking readily available uh, to anyone who wants it, um, even those perhaps below the poverty line. It may not be Whole Foods, right? It may not be Trader Joe's.
0: Dude, I don't go to Whole Foods. They want my whole wallet when I go to Whole Foods. <laughs> whole, whole paycheck. Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, right. yeah, but um, um, and 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 just the plethora of options before us. You know, it's you know it's the kid in the candy. store. Store analogy: You go into Kroger or or Aldi. We have Kroger here. Yeah. We have Kroger and Walmart. Um, and
0: uh, so, walk us through what it looks like from. And, and you don't have to like go into all the dirty details, obviously, about tuning up the combine or tuning up the tractors and whatnot. That's right. But but from springtime to harvest, and then what happens to your harvest? That then it gets back into an American grocery <laughs> store, for instance.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, springtime is is planting season. Uh, for our part of the world. Uh, that's when the crop goes in the ground. The seed gets put in the ground. So corn is being planted right now. We're rained out on mm-hmm. um, a day like today. That's why you and I are talking. right? Because uh, if it was pretty, I, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today.
0: Or we would, but it uh, would be extremely loud.
1: It could be. Well, maybe not, you know.
0: <laughs> that's true.
1: <laughs> There's one of them stereotypes, right? You know, <laughs> you know tractors, tra- tractors you know
0: our hands free for <laughs> yeah i i need to I, yes i do need to say for those of you who do not know uh the equipment that Shane uses is not a mule and a steel blade plow uh we rode around on a combine that was totally sealed, air conditioned, had a AM/FM CD player, probably had Bluetooth and everything else in there, and he Bluetooth, could listen to podcasts right. and he could make phone calls. And we were yeah. nice and cold on a ninety degree day, so it's not uh-huh. exactly. This is not Little House on the Prairie.
1: <laughs> it's not the uh, American Gothic, the Grant Wood yes. painting. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is a good point because a lot, oftentimes, you know, you know, you're especially the urban dweller. You know, mm-hmm. people who have never stepped foot on a farm. You know, they they harken back to that imagery. Uh, but anyway, uh, crop goes in in the spring. Uh, of course, we try to try our best to care for it throughout the summer. Uh, pray for rain when it needs rain mm-hmm. and things like that. Control the weeds, the insects. Uh, et et cetera, to Mm -hmm. the best of our abilities. And, um, harvest comes in fall. We usually start harvesting September and October. And then we sell ours to a local granary or local elevator, um, who buys our, our, our product. Okay. Our corn, our wheat, our soybean. If we're growing, if we're raising cotton, we have cotton gins in our area that, you know, you can take it to.
0: So, so in, they, in, in other vernacular, this is the middleman, right?
1: The, yes. Okay. Yeah. That, that would be a good way to, to, to put that, okay. uh,
0: um,
1: cause I've, I've got to do something with it, right? right? I just can't leave it in the field. If I you know it, it,
0: you mean you don't it, drive it to the Mississippi river and put it on a barge yourself. Come on, Shane.
1: <laughs> no, I, no, that's <laughs> right.
0: Man, I mean we loaded like two or three semi loads of corn the day that I the afternoon that I was with you. You and I mm-hmm. and I think your dad was out there, I don't remember for sure, but you and I were for, right. and we just loaded truck after trailer after trailer and these guys would drive mm-hmm. off and I'm thinking, okay, well this this is a there's a lot of links in this chain.
1: That's right.
0: Okay, so it That's gets right. to uh, gets to your silos and your middleman and what happens next?
1: Well and then and that's, that's kind of our broker, okay. right? That's who we, that's who I'm selling it to. That's who, that's where I'm receiving my paycheck.
0: Okay. Gotcha.
1: From, um, um and so there's, you know, that's
0: a whole nother. Yeah. But I, but honestly, there, I know? don't, I don't think that every. not honestly, you know, clearly there's some people who know how this works, but I don't think that every person understands that your income is not dependent on what Kroger puts on sale or what Kroger I, charges for a can of corn or something like that, that it's a it's a no, multivariant no, process.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You could, you could say I'm producing the raw ingredient. Okay. Uh, or I'm, I'm producing maybe the primary ingredient that's going to end up, after it leaves my farm, after it leaves our fields, You know, by the time it gets to your table, uh, it's going to go through various processes that – you know, that corn has, is now in, you know, a bag of potato chips Mm -hmm. or that soybean is in, or a part of that soybean is in any number of food items that you find in your pantry. Mm -hmm. Uh, that wheat, you know, is uh, converted to flour, you know, which is the main ingredient in bread, things like that. Mm Um, so by the time it leaves my field and it's, and, and makes it to, to your dinner table, uh, or to your grocery store, or to your favorite fast food line. Um, it's 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 gone through several processes. And part of there, your and too. part
0: of your soybeans can wind up in cosmetics. Is that right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Soybeans not are my, in not like, my
0: cosmetics. I want to make nice that clear. Cured, not yeah, mine. Yeah, not not mine
1: right. personally, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, soybeans are in in. Wow just about everything wow um, you, you know you you go any person can just go to their uh, to their refrigerator or their pantry and just start looking at the ingredients and you're probably gonna see some kind of product or byproduct of corn or soybean or wheat mm-hmm. on your ingredient list
0: that's amazing so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pause right here and then come back and I'm just gonna roll right into this a reminder, everybody, that um, if you uh, enjoy Uncommentary, please rate and review. In fact, just pause this right now. If you've never rated or reviewed Uncommentary in your favorite podcast app, please do that now. That really does help, um, and it it shows that people are listening and that people think it's a good quality podcast, so that's encouraging. Also, if you're not a regular contributor to the cause and you'd like to be, go to patreon.com slash uncommentary. And you can sign up for as little as 2 bucks a month. Listen, that's nothing. Everybody listening can afford that. Some of you listening can afford more. And if you could do more, I would greatly appreciate it. But you don't have to. If you want to do a one-off, that's cool too. Go to paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. And you can do a one-off gift there. And that also is greatly appreciated. So I want to give you a heads up on something that's coming soon. Uh, Going to be a giveaway. I, I can't go into the details, explicitly, but really soon there's going to be a giveaway and you're going to be able to enter that giveaway or claim your gift. I should say there's going to be multiple gifts, uh, through the Twitter feed of uncommentary. Uh, unfortunately I can't do anything broader than that. So if you're not on Twitter yet, go ahead and open your account. Uh, if you are on Twitter, be paying attention. This is going to come out soon and, uh, there's going to be a lots to give away and you do not want to miss it and upcoming details. Got a lot of great guests lined up, and I am super excited. Now, not all of them measure up to Shane Birchfield, but they are a lot of good guests that are coming up, and you're going to be excited, I think, about the next few weeks here on Uncommentary. All right, so you have sold your wares to the middleman, and they have pushed them out into markets, and they're converted into all kinds of stuff. Then what happens?
1: Then we start the process over again the next year.
0: See that's interesting, folks. You you uh, you understand the farmer. Once it's gone, he's only thinking about the, that process starting. And this is not a criticism. This is to show that our our line of our food chain. I guess that's the right word. Our food yeah. chain is segmented. This is not just farmers selling food at your local farmers market, which, by the way, I approve of and take advantage of, and we buy directly from local farmers. However, uh, Shane is not what I would term a local farmer. You are more, I don't know what the right word is, but you, you're more focused. You have, uh, you sell in a broader market than taking some heads of lettuce and cauliflower and whatnot down to your local farmer's market. Right.
1: That, that's right. Yeah. yeah right. And, and I, and I, I too endorse, you know, your local farmer's market oh, and, sure. and we utilize those ourselves. I mean, it's, it's a, great way to get to know your food and the people who grow it. So take advantage of that. If you, if you have those in your community. Um, so
0: that's an aspect but, of things that I want you to kind <clears> of, <throat> I want you to kind of nuance for us. Cause you and I've talked about this. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, a farmer that we buy from his name is Sam Harvey. Uh, I can't remember the name of the farm right offhand. Sorry, Sam, but um, we buy, he, he comes to our local farmer's markets. He also does like deliveries in certain areas and stuff like that. We've been buying from Sam for several years. Sam is a, like a 2 million percent organic farmer. I don't even think Mm -hmm. he, I don't even think he will say the word diazonon. I I just don't think that it's in his vocabulary. (laughs) It's probably forbidden from his house. I mean, he's just like straight up organic farming. You are you are not straight up organic farming. You see the benefit of it. You've told me you said I have no problem with organic farming. <laughs> I, I I like all farming, but that's not that's your right. par- that's not your particular niche. You do use fertilizers and pesticides and things like that. Can you explain a little bit about um, not not like defending or attacking either position, but just where we are kind of in culture and these different approaches to farming that have kind of gotten. I don't know, taking on a life of their own as, as it is? I,
1: I can try. Um, yeah. 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 So, uh, right. I, I'm a fan of people not being hungry, of people not going hungry. Amen. And so I'm, am, I am a fan of any method um, that gets us towards that goal, whether that's, uh, I don't know if you would consider Probably what people would say I do would be more commercial okay. farming. Um, there's organic farming. You know, we don't we don't raise any livestock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you know that that's a whole nother animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no pun intent. No pun intended there. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just you know I I, I want to support and be an advocate uh, for growing good healthy, sustainable uh, food in an efficient way possible. And however that looks, you know, for my operation mm-hmm. or the man or the, the woman, the family that, you know, does things, you know, what we would call, I guess, a traditional or organic methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why – I think documentaries have driven a lot of this, mm-hmm. uh, that we've watched on TV. You know, they, they've kind of set this up as an either or battle. Uh, I, I say, no, I say it's an, and both we need all, um, mm-hmm. uh, food insecurity. You know, we have the luxury of not really being a, of not being a food insecure nation. Um, I think some of the organic arguments might fall by the wayside in underdeveloped and third world countries. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of, well, I mean, you just in places like that, you just want to get food to people. Yeah, um, you know, they're not. If you're starving, you're not worried about
0: whether <laughs> pesticides you know, were used on that grain.
1: What? Yeah, that, that's yeah. right. That's right. You, you know, that's that's further down on your priority list in, in that moment. So. Uh, you know, if you're living under a dictatorship or yeah. something like that. Um, um, and I, I think those those are important parts of the equation mm-hmm. that often get left out of the discussion.
0: You mentioned a couple uh, earlier in the, in the podcast, <clears throat> which I think is valid, you mentioned the percentage of budget that goes to food for the average person in the West. And I've heard uh, Joel Salatin address this. And I think the figure that he used was traditionally before the advent of commercial farming, the average family would spend somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty percent of their monthly income on mm-hmm. food, <clears throat> and it was an enormous part of the average person's budget. Uh, with the advent of commercial farming and the mass production and mass processing that that allows, then right. the price of food has dropped, and the average fa- the ab- again we're we're speaking very generalized here. Uh, the We're average trying. family does not have to spend 30% of their income on food. They can spend 10 to 15% of their income on food and decide within some of that range how much they really do want to spend. I can say from personal experience that when you decide to make organic farming or organic food any substantive part of your diet – then you're going to hit that 30%. You can easily, let me say it this way, you could easily hit that 30% range without trying very, very hard because you're supporting, uh, in a lot of ways, direct farming. So you're helping to support someone's livelihood directly as opposed to indirectly, which would be in your case. Um, uh, You're spending more because they're doing a more labor-intensive, generally speaking, labor-intensive production, their costs are different. And they're, because they're a small scale, they can't take it by nature. They can't take advantage of economies of scale. So right. if you make the adjustment to more uh, sustainable agriculture, organic food, whatever, um, this is why Whole Foods is able to charge so much because they, mm-hmm. at least in theory, uh, are paying more for their products So you're paying them more for the product. So there is a trade-off there, and I do think that you've nuanced it well, and I think that people who have the, uh, have the means financially and have the means by virtue of opportunity to take advantage of sustainable farming or to introduce parts of organic diet into their diet um, do have, uh, you know, I guess long-term we'll find out whether there's huge health benefits in that way. I don't know that if I buy corn, at Kroger, that was grown with pesticides, that that's going to kill me. But if I buy corn that's been processed into high fructose corn syrup, and that's all I ever eat, that might kill me. But
1: <laughs> that, that
0: speaks more to my consumption than the you know the production end of it. Um, right. But I think that's that's good. I, I did think your reference to Wendell Berry is funny because. Uh, people do tend to read like one thing, one article in, you know, mother earth news or one essay by (laughs) Wendell Berry, or, you know, watch one documentary and all of a sudden everything is going to change. And it's just a lot more hard than that. That's right. So, um, if there's any, what's something that you, uh, either wish people knew about, uh, the farming process or hope that they can take away or, that maybe there's something that you think is really messed up and you think man if if we could get this thing fixed in the system uh that would be really <laughs> good and and feel free and and most of the time I don't want my guests to talk about like specific policies and stuff like that but this is like if there's anywhere where policies meet the road it's in farming and so um or food production so speak to a little bit of that so that our so that listeners get a, get more informed about this whole thing well
1: i think one thing um, and like, you, you could go, I could go in several different directions with this, you know, but I know people don't want to, they'll, they'll check out after two hours of this or whatever. So, dude,
0: I'll check out after much more of this. That's
1: right. They're like, forget this. I'm going to McDonald's or whatever. You know. This food talk's making me hungry. So, I, I think one thing the, in, Generally, the American farmer repeatedly or, or or often wants to communicate is that you know I believe I am growing a safe, affordable, and abundant food supply, one that I partake in myself and mm-hmm. my family takes in myself mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't think our food was safe now there's all kind of dynamics involved in this and and you know, as we said earlier, we can we can nuance these things uh, till we're blue in the face. Mm. But um, I think people, especially in in the United States, should be should feel comfortable, should feel that they're should know that that their food supply is safe. And you know, barring something completely unforeseen, you know, it's going to be there. It's it's reliable. Mm. Um, and it's affordable. Um, and I, I think that's a blessing that a, a lot of us, uh, we just, we, we take for granted. Um, you know, again, it's one of those things that we don't think about because we don't have to think about, right. um, most of us are not worried about where our next meal is going to come from. Most of us are not concerned with how am I going to pay, uh, for supper tonight mm-hmm. or, or, you know, are, are my kids going to bed? Uh, or an empty stomach? Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of people in, in the West, uh, just don't have that concern. And that's, that's truly a blessing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it's a great responsibility too. And one that we want to continue to, uh, to nurture and, and, can, and farming is like anything else, right? Farmers are like anyone else. You have good ones. You have great ones. You have guys that are just jerks <laughs> and um you you know, you don't like. Um there's that there's that perception, you know, oh, you know, and this is one of those things that does kind of annoy me, I guess. Uh, you know, that and maybe annoy is too strong a word. I, I don't know. But you know, farmers, oh, they're the salt of the earth, they're you know, God's chosen people or, or whatever, you know. You know, you see those means and mm-hmm. things like that. Backbone you know, you Backbone of the nation yeah. or, you know, and you see the things like, you know, you need a, a a lawyer maybe once or twice in your life and you need a doctor every now and then and you need you, whatever. But you need a farmer three times. A day. Well, you know, you need everybody all the time. <laughs> you know, so I, I always kind of feel uncomfortable like like, you know, the Trump administration and not to get off on this. But, you know, he he really put agriculture on to me was an uncomfortable pedestal. Mm. Um, like, well, you know, I, I I don't know. I just don't like feeling more special than, you know, the truck driver who Mm. carried everything like, cause where would I be without him in the processing plant?
0: Well, according to my, yeah. According to my personal observations, you'd still be out there in that field with a shovel trying to load up that (laughs) truck from two years ago.
1: Exactly. You know, this is a, you know, this is an interconnected network of thousands of people. Uh, to make our food process in the U.S. a success and they all, and that's the thing. I'm just playing my role. Um, you know, and I just try to be a good steward of the land and the resources that I have before me so that I can continue on the legacy and another generation of what was gifted to me so that I can pay that forward and constantly trying to improve it with you know, each, each year.
0: Well, Shane, man, it has been like unbelievably good to hang with you uh, on this Saturday morning. And this is a, uh, it's a subject that we could talk about from theological perspectives. We could talk about it, I guess, from philosophical perspectives, you'd probably do better at that than I would. Um, okay. but just, just knowing and thinking about, I've, I've often said that the most tangible means of grace that we experience from God is when we sit down to eat three times a day. Uh, and it's also the most overlooked touch in most of our lives. It's so automatic. It's so natural. It's like that dude in the old Testament where the Ark of the covenant stayed in his house for 20 years. And when they got ready to move it, he didn't think anything about reaching out and trying to keep it from falling off that wagon. And God struck him dead. It wasn't that his motives were insincere. It was, he had just become so comfortable with the glory of God in his own house they didn't even think about it that way anymore, and I think about we we miss food in that same way. It's it's a tangible expression of God's grace in our lives,
1: mm-hmm.
0: ongoingly that we so often take for granted. Man, I can't thank you enough for hanging out, uh, hanging out today.
1: My pleasure. I enjoyed it.
0: As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at UncommentaryPod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, And as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com. uh, on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Sole Gloria. This is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast.